I want to invite you to grab your Bibles, if you would, and let's turn to two places this morning. Uh, we're continuing our series to the book of James, and so this morning we'll be looking at James chapter 3. So as you find your place there, I also ask that you find your place in Matthew chapter 15. Now throughout chapter 2 of James, uh, we discover that what we do or the deeds that we do is a reflection of who we are or, or what's in our heart. Uh, one of the Proverbs that come to my mind uh, when I think about this reality is the Proverbs from chapter 4, verse number 23. It says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Or, above all else, guard your heart, for it determines the course of your life. Now, by the time we get to James chapter 3, we're going to see that James also says not just about what you do that reveals who you are, it's also about what you say. Your words reveal the truth about the authenticity of your faith. And so the truth is, we reveal our character or we bear witness to the authenticity of our faith by what we do and by what we say. The power of the tongue is tremendous. It can bring about tremendous blessings. I mean, just, uh, just already this morning, we, we sing worship uh, unto the glorious God. And many of you, I wish it would have been all of you, but many of you sat through a Bible study hour and you've got to hear words spoken over you about the truth from God's Word. So, so our words can be an opportunity to bring about tremendous blessing. And our words also carry tremendous power to devastate and to destroy another individual. The age-old adage that says, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a lie. It's not true. In fact, Jesus often spoke about our words. That's why I have you in Matthew chapter 15. Look at verse number 14. And he called the people to him again, and he said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable, and he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not into his heart but his stomach? and is expelled. Now this is the verse worth memorizing because then it says, thus he declared all food clean. There should be an amen. Bacon-wrapped shrimp, clean. Amen. Anyway, verse 20, and he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, evil, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Now, now turn back with me to James. 
That's where we're going to pick up our, our, our message from this morning. James talks about our words throughout his entire letter. In fact, in every single chapter of the book of James, James talks about something that we say or the words that we speak. In fact, in chapter 1, verse number 19, he says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Then when he gets to to chapter 2, and we looked at this last week, in verse number 14, he says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? And the answer we discovered is no, it can't. James is also going to address our words in chapter 3. We're going to look at it this morning. In chapter 4, he addresses it beginning in verse number 13. And in chapter 5, he addresses it in places like verses 9, 12, and 13. James is making the transition from uh, faith without works, and now he's going to be talking about the need for us to control our tongue. And failure to control the tongue is what's mentioned earlier in chapter 1, and it's now expanded upon. Back in chapter 1, look at verse 26. If anyone thinks that he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So as disturbing as it is for those to claim that they have faith, and yet they fail to walk in obedience to God, it is equally as disturbing to see that those who claim to have faith and yet cannot control the things that come out of their mouths. And make no mistake, our our mouths should be controlled. Small though it is, the tongue is all too powerful and too prone to perversion and pollution. And so that's why we pick up in chapter 3, verse number 1. James starts off and he says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. James begins his expanded section on the power of our words by suggesting that we exercise moderation and restraint in the multiplication of teachers. Yes, teaching must be done, But those who teach must understand their responsibility because they will be judged more strictly. The potential for greater condemnation for the teacher is because having having declared their knowledge of duty, they are now bound to obey it. So it is the tongue or the, the tool of a teacher that causes the teacher to face a stricter judgment. A teacher by trade is constantly instructing other people how to live their lives while also correcting them when they fall short of what we're called to do. And so a teacher has the responsibility for the lives and the spiritual growth and the development of those that sit under their teaching. There's a great weight of responsibility that is placed upon teachers and and pastors because we bear the responsibility of giving an answer and account for every word that we speak, every sermon that is preached, every lesson that is taught because it has a profound impact or potential to impact you and your lives. 
Therefore, I will do things and teach things and take stance on, on, on things about faith and practice that may not be likable among many, but I'll do so under the, the realization that one day I have to give an account for everything that I have done in this church. Every message that I've spoken, every lesson that I've taught, I recognize that I bear great responsibility. So therefore, I may make decisions or take stances on, on things simply out of the necessity to exercise great caution. Great caution because I care for you. And I'm greatly concerned for you. And I don't want you to buy into the lies that get spread all throughout this world that what you do or what you believe doesn't really matter just as long as you're faithful to it. That's not true. What you believe is of utmost importance. And how you live your life should be the testimony that what you believe or what you say you believe is actually true in your life. So, so James gives a warning that, that should cause us to stop and seriously consider before we take up the responsibility to teach or to speak in the church. And let me just real quickly give you three reasons why teachers incur such a strict judgment. First of all, the teacher has the responsibility to speak the truth. They bear the responsibility of speaking the truth, which means a teacher's opinion is no greater than anyone else's opinion. So when people come to church, they need to be presented with the truth, not the overwhelming opinion of an individual. Now, there are times where the opinion from a teacher can give clarity and insight to the message or to the lesson that's being taught, but we should never put equal or greater emphasis over one person's opinion than we are the Word of God. Okay, so a teacher must speak the truth. Number two, the words of a teacher affect many lives affect more lives than our than our one-to-one -one conversations because whether it's in a classroom of 10 people or in a congregation of 10,000 the impact of the words of a teacher bears a greater range of of power and influence over people's lives and then thirdly teachers are expected to model what they teach now if you want to evaluate the effectiveness of someone that you like to follow whether me, another pastor, another teacher, or, or books that you like to read, let me give you two questions that you need to consider and you should apply to every single person that you follow in their teaching. Question number one is what they teach biblically solid. Is it solid? Question number two, does their life reflect what they teach? Does their life reflect what they teach? The real test isn't simply is what they're saying true, but it's also in how they live their lives. Does it give evidence or supporting testimony of what they're teaching to be true? Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 12 that the tongue speaks what is in the heart or the mind. And it is by our tongue, by our words, that we will either be justified or or condemned before God. 
I'm going to read this, and you might want to find it. Turn to Matthew chapter 12, because I'm going to come back to it at the end of the message. But in chapter 12, he says, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person, out of his good treasure, brings forth good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. And I'm going to unpack in a little bit what that means to be justified by our words. But I think it's interesting to note that James just doesn't point his finger at teachers and put all the emphasis on that. He opens it up to include everyone, including himself. Because when you get to James chapter 3, verse number 2, he says, For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So we all stumble in many ways. Amen? Yes. Yeah. When we all do, we all mess up. And we all are, are prone to, to mess up. And just because we have a right relationship with God doesn't necessarily mean that we are consistently 100% accurate in making right decisions or doing the right thing all the time. We, we all stumble in many ways. Nothing can seem to trip a believer up more than a dangling tongue. That's for sure. He says if a believer is never at fault, which means if a believer never stumbles at, at what he says or by his words, then you're perfect. Perfect means to be fulfilled, to be mature, to be complete. And he is able to bridle his whole body. So know this, that spiritual maturity requires us having a tamed tongue. Now this might appear to seem strange that James is talking so much about our words because in chapter 2, he seemed to put a diminishing focus on words and put more of an emphasis on actions. You know, we covered in, in chapter 2, verses 12, 14, 16, 18, he's talking about how our words must be met with action. And so I think to James, controlling our speech is in itself an act of worship. Just as there should be no separation between our works and our faith, there should be no separation between our words and our life. If you can control the tongue, you can control the body. Which means the tongue might be small, but it is oh so powerful and influential. He picks up in verse number 3 and says, If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide the whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member. Yet it boasts of great things. How great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire. James's argument is clear. Just as little bits turn grown horses, or just as small rudders are able to maneuver large ships, 
just as a small spark has the potential to uh, engulf and consume an entire forest, the tongue, although it is a small member of the body, is able to make great boast. In other words, the tongue is petite, but oh so powerful. I mean, think about what he says. A small little thing put inside uh, of the mouth of, of a great powerful horse is able to give the rider control over that power. That small rider is able to allow a pilot to take control over a great massive ship even in the midst of a storm. The tongue, it's a small member of our body, yet it has the the power and the uh, potential to accomplish great things. And great either for good or for evil. I think that's why King Solomon warns us in Proverbs chapter 18, verse number 21, where he says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. When Jesus Christ controls the tongue, then we, near, we need not fear saying the wrong things. Nor do we have to be afraid of saying the, the right things in the wrong way. I think this is partly why David prays in Psalm chapter 141, and he says, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep, keep watch over the doors of my lips. Because David knew the importance of keeping watch over the words that he spoke. And so when Jesus Christ is the Lord of your heart, then I guarantee you He's also the Lord of your lips as well. And so keep on reading in James. Look at verse number number 6. He says, And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. So, so the tongue is not only powerful, it also has the potential to be greatly perverse. It is small and influential, but far worse. Our tongue can be satanic and infectious. Our tongue is described as a fire, a world of unrighteousness. In, in Proverbs chapter 16, verse number 27, it says, A worthless man plots evil. And his speech is like a scorching fire. Proverbs chapter 26, verses 18 through 21 says, Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. For lack of wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. I mean, just think about the great and terrible things that we have accomplished as a result of the words that we have spoken. Think about marriages that have been destroyed because of the harshness of some words. Think about children whose lives have been greatly damaged because of words spoken to them by their mother or their father. Think about friendships and relationships that have been damaged and destroyed, ruined 
because of an uncontrolled tongue. Think about reputations that have been destroyed. Wars that have been fought. Arguments that continue all because of an uncontrolled tongue. The tongue can be a little fire that sets ablaze and consumes a whole forest of people in relationships. I want you to notice the source uh, of fire. The source uh, of fire is hell. Verse number 6 says that it is set on fire by hell. Tongue is only the fuse. The source for the fuel is hell itself. Therefore, any person who sets his tongue ablaze is simply following the tongue of Satan. An uncontrolled mouth for any person is revealing an alliance with the heart of Satan, not with the heart of Christ. And so the believer's tongue is never to speak forth the fiery flames of hell's destructive words. It should never come out of our mouths. As believers, our words should not be ugly. They should not be cursing. They should not be biting. They should not be divisive or unkind or, 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 or suggestive. Remember Proverbs 18.21, life and death are in the power of a tongue. Our words should be bringing about life and healing and pointing people to a loving Savior. Our words should not be criticizing and condemning and, and tearing down another individual. The Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 31, he said, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 1, we're told to put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Again, Proverbs chapter 10, verses 18 and 19 says, the one who conceals hatred has lying lips and who Whoever utters slander is a fool. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. You may know that the tongue can be an uncontrollable fire. But not only that, it's also an untamed beast. Going back to James 3, verse number 7. He says, for every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. James is saying, while we might be able to tame wild beasts, while we might be able to tame and to train birds, reptiles, sea creatures. He says no human being can tame the tongue. Why? Because it is a restless evil. That word restless is the same word in the Greek that's used in chapter 1 of verse number 8 to describe a, an unstable individual. So our tongue is restless. It is unstable. But worse yet, the tongue is filled with deadly poison. 
like the poison of a serpent. The tongue is loaded with venom of hate, gossip, and slander. And similarly uh, to that of the forked tongue of a serpent, our tongue in one instance gives praises to God and in the very next moment has the potential to bring curses upon man, the very image that has been created by God. And notice it says in verse number 9, it says, with it we bless our Lord and Father and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing my brothers, these things ought not be so. Does the, spring bring, does the spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. It's another way of saying that the tongue is, the, is a little hypocrite in our mouths that make big hypocrites of our lives. I mean, here, here's the hypocrisy of the tongue. In one moment, we're singing praises to God, and the next moment, we're speaking critically, harshly, cursing an individual. In one moment, we gather together to sing worship songs unto Him, and in the next moment, we get in our cars, shut our doors, and start cussing one another out. Start criticizing, being critical and harsh to our spouse or, or to our children. And, and James considered this reality quite remarkable. A spring of water cannot produce both fresh and salt water. He says a fig tree cannot produce both figs and olives. The grapevine cannot produce both grapes and figs. But that the tongue can produce both blessings and cursing. Faced with the incredible inconsistency of this reality, James has nothing less to say other than, my brothers, this ought not be so. And we know that he's right. We know that our irresponsible and unwholesome language that comes out of our mouth is wrong. And yet, we keep on doing it we expect for the spring to to flow forth with fresh water we expect for a fig tree to bear figs we expect for a grapevine to produce grapes therefore we should expect for believers to speak forth words of life not words of death after all nature reproduces after itself and if our talk is inconsistent with our confession of faith, then there's something wrong with us. Something seriously is wrong with us. And what's wrong with us isn't just our words. Our words reveal that there's something deeper at stake here. Because our words reveal what's in our hearts. So it's not just a matter of our words that's the problem. It's a matter of the heart that's at root. That's the problem. I can't tell you how many times I have this little scene that gets played out in my life. And I know and I recognize it's because I'm a pastor. But I'll get around individuals outside of church, in your home environment, or somewhere away, 
There used to be a time where I loved to play recreation sports like, like church league basketball or, or church league softball, those kind of things. And the reason why I enjoy doing that isn't so much because of the sport itself, although I do enjoy some of them. It's because on the court or on the field, you really get to know who the person is. Their true character comes out. And I can't tell you how many times I've been involved in somebody's life and been in their environment. All, all of a sudden, they begin to speak words that are critical words that are destructive or that profanity comes out of their mouth and then they'll catch themselves and they'll realize, oh, I'm with the pastor. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> well, I do. If it wasn't in you, it wouldn't come out of you. And it's because it's still there. That filth hasn't been eliminated. It's because of that that those words come out of our mouths. James's description of the evils of the tongue, come on, it seems relentlessly gloomy and hopeless. It says that the small tongue controls the whole person. He says that it's the fire from hell. And unlike nature, it is inconsistent and it cannot be tamed. Now faced with all of this, the question comes to my mind is, why should we even, should we even try? <laughs> What's the point? If we can't even tame it, then, then, then isn't it hopeless? And the answer is, no, it's not hopeless. Because there's a key that's given to us there in verse number 8. It says, no human being can tame the tongue. No man can control or tame the tongue. Not a single one of us contained the tongue but God can God can if the tongue is set on fire by hell then take comfort in knowing that there is one who is greater than hell that there is one who has the power and the authority and has claimed victory over the source of our tongue God alone has the power to subdue our tongues. God alone has the ability to tame our mouths if we're just genuinely, wholly, fully accept Him by faith. It's not about watching our words. It's ultimately about giving our hearts and our lives unto God. And so, back to Matthew chapter 12. In verse number 34, he says, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person, out of his good treasure, brings forth good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasures, bring forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. In my mind, I, I see like a big old line in heaven that says that this is the line that you're going to go through uh, because you're going to be judged and evaluated by your words. And I'm telling you that if you see a line, and if there's multiple lines to get through that part in heaven, and you see a line that has a whole bunch of pastors in it, go to the other line. 
Our words are a reflection of what's in our heart. And if out of our mouths are coming cursing, bitterness, hateful talk, that resentful language, if that's coming out of our mouths, that's revealing to us that we have a heart issue. And we haven't fully given that over to the Lord for Him to claim victory of that in our lives. And so He says, by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Uh, To be justified means to be declared innocent. To be made righteous. Now we know ultimately that we are made right with God by grace through faith. That's how it happens. By the grace of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, then we can have the righteousness of Christ credited to our account. I want to make sure you understand this. So it's not that our words are what make us right before God. Just like we talked about last week. It's not like doing good deeds can make us right with God. No, our words and our good deeds are the evidence by which our claim to be a believer of God is true. So if you say that you belong to Him, then the words out of your mouth should support that claim. The things that you do should support that claim. And so it is important that we talk about our words and we talk about our good deeds because words and action matter. So imagine this. If you're being put on trial right now and the only witnesses to speak on your behalf are the witness of your words or the witness of your deeds, is there enough testimony from your words and your deeds that would find you guilty of being a child of God? Or would your words and your deeds be too much like the world and bring about confusion? I don't really see a separation. You're saying that you believe one thing, but you talk just like everybody else talks. And I don't see your faith in action uh, trying to meet the needs of those that are around us. And those things matter, church. If we're, if we're going to fully give our lives to Christ and fully submit unto Him uh, giving Him the right to rule and reign over our lives, then that means we give Him the right to rule and reign over our mouths as well. So may your words be the evidence that your faith is genuine. And may your actions reveal to the world that you belong to the King of Kings. And if you're struggling with either one of them today, I would encourage you to spend some time before God in our time of invitation. I'd even invite you to come up here and just kneel along the front just to pray. We'll have people that are here to pray with you, to encourage you in any way. We're not in a rush to get through this process. And here's one of the reasons why we're kind of changing the order of things in our service. Because over time, I begin to see some tendencies in us. The tendency is that when we get to the point of praying at the end of the message, there's a tendency just to shut down and think, all right, we're done. What's next? And we go from one thing to the next. And I don't want to get you from one thing to the next. I want to sit in this moment for a little bit with you. What is God revealing to you today about your word? What is God revealing to you today about the words that you speak? Your words and your work. 
What does God have to say to you about those things? Let's pray, church. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this church. God, I thank you that you love us enough that you've given us your word to guide and to direct us in our lives. And in this moment, Father, I pray that your spirit would move among us, showing each and every one of us the things that are in our lives that ought not be there. And God, I pray that we wouldn't worry about what's happening around us, that we would focus on what you're doing within us, that this would be a time that we would seek to get right with you, that we would confess sins, that we would repent, that we would turn to put our faith and trust in you. Whatever needs to happen in this moment for you to be fully glorified, Father, I pray that we will do just that. I ask your blessings upon this name. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.